Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello, how are you? Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Ed Draper here with you once again, sports broadcaster in the UK. Appreciate you hitting on the button. I hope you've had a fantastic Christmas. Looking ahead to the new year or whatever festivals you're celebrating at this time of the year, whether it's midwinter, some sort of pagan ritual, whatever it may be, or it might be midsummer where you are in the world. Are very fortunate as those uh, those nights have certainly drawn in in the UK here. Although we are past the shortest day, which was December the twenty first, and I always feel psychologically boosted by that. Albeit as uh, as I sit, having just switched off my UV lamp for a little uh, a little bit of uh, juice in the eyeballs. But I hope you well. I hope you had a good good time of Christmas if you're celebrating Christmas, and I hope you're excited about the new year despite the ongoing uh, complications confusion of the COVID pandemic. Um, thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Recorded an episode of the podcast at Bang Olufsen's beautiful store in Montpellier, in the heart of Cheltenham here in the west of England, not so long ago with Michael Duff, the Cheltenham town manager, former Premier League footballer. And that was a beautiful space. Really appreciate their time and just got to see some of the wonderful equipment. But it's not only bang offs and equipment. Always say that through Serene AV, Jason Briggs and his fine team can source you whatever home entertainment, televisual, audiovisual, whatever it is you're looking for to complete your home, home entertainment system, whatever it may be, big screens through Serene AV. They'll fit the brand that matches your needs, your budget, your vision. So worth getting in touch with them through Bang Olufsen, Cheltenham website or B&O underscore Cheltenham on social media. Thank you also to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company, their ongoing association with the podcast. Food-based means that the supplements are digested as close to food would be through the system, so more readily absorbed those nutrients into the uh, into the human body. My father, Dr. Mark Draper, who's a GP and a micronutritionist, has worked as a, a guide and a lecturer as well in leading seminars for Cytoplan. We still pay for the supplements albeit at a discounted rate, but we've been taking them for 20 years plus. If you would like to look into taking some, trying some out, trying to optimize your immunity, whether you're in the Northern Hemisphere like me and you're looking at vitamin D3 supplements as you're unlikely to get much from the sunshine, the watery sunshine that may creep through the cloud cover from time to time, then it may be an option for you. If you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, Dot UK. The discount code at checkout, which I believe is 30% off initially, 10% thereafter. The code is DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, my surname, last name, and then the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. 
Draper 10R. Right, brilliant podcast coming up. Really appreciate his time. Best part of an hour with uh, Matt Jarvis. Used to be a flying winger in the Premier League and the EFL divisions below the Premier League football in England. He's just retired after playing semi-professional at a club in Surrey called Woking at the very end of his career. He's worked as an analyst and a, a pundit at Sky Sports with me. That's where we got talking and he's making that transition now after having quit sort of proper football in the summer talking about identity the evolution of it and also just um, some interesting insights into the setbacks he had as a young man being told he wasn't good enough that ultimately made it to the very top level of football in England played as well for his uh, his national team which is pretty phenomenal achievement given that all of us want to do that in our life so he had the cap in 2011 for England and it's just a, he's a good guy, good time. And uh, it was brilliant to get his thoughts, especially as he was suffering from COVID-19 mildly at the time of recording. Again, it's one of those stories that really sort of, again, confuses you around all the issues around COVID and the, the surreal complexities of the moment. But here we go. The one and only Matt Jarvis. Welcome to the podcast, the wonderful Matt Jarvis, stricken with COVID-19, but a big, a big smile across your face. You, you're doing okay, Matt, which is good news. Oh, I'm well, thank you. Yeah, just a little cold, but um, all good. Good, good, good. Um, and you're out on Christmas Eve, which is positive. Not, amazing. Not, co- yeah, not COVID it's, positive. It's yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, Christmas Eve. So that was, uh, that's a touch of luck. So yeah. Um, yeah, at least hopefully be able to enjoy some Christmas celebrations. Brilliant. And you don't know if you've had Omicron or not, do you? But it seems like maybe it has been because you've not been doing too much and somewhat somehow picked it up, which kind of follows with the sort of transmissibility of, of this variant. Yeah, I, to be honest, I really don't know. Um, but, you know, luckily, um, double boosted and uh, sorry, double vaccine. And then, um, you know, just uh, just have to see how I go. But I'm all right at the moment. Good man, good man. You look, you look very well, and you're resplendent in your, your big red chair, which I love. It's like some sort of like diary room with Big Brother or something. I, I love it. Um, I thought, uh, that's the benefit because it's only uh, only uh, sort of um, my humble podcast is is um, at the moment audio only. But we'll have to we'll have to branch into video for your your benefit next time. I think definitely. But how are you? How apart from this, have you got anything planned over Christmas? Have you got work coming up? Media stuff? Any any commitments? Well, do you know what? It's going to be actually my first sort of. Christmas that I'm actually not doing anything. Um, oh wow! I've got no, no, no work on Boxing Day. I've, I've not got a game because I'm not playing. I've looked no sort of media stuff. So I've actually got my first Christmas off in God knows how many years. Twenty nineteen, twenty years. So um, yeah, <laughs> looking forward to it. Um, Brilliant. It's going to be interesting. I, I don't quite know what to do. Look, you, li- you live the dream as a professional footballer, but I guess we don't ever think about that, do we? The the impact of it. And it, it must be surreal for you because even playing at Woking last season, I guess you were playing on Boxing Day, were you? Yeah, exactly that. Um, the, th- the thing is, I, I don't really know anything else. So it's not like I feel like I've missed out. Um, you know, whatever way it is, if you've got a home game on the on, on Boxing Day, you're either coming, depending on your manager, you come in nice and early, get in and get gone. And then you can spend the rest of the day with your family. Um, if you've got an away game, you normally you have the you know, all morning and sort of early afternoon with your family, and then you you come on in in the afternoon, train and travel. So it, it's just what I what I'm used to. So I, I've I've been obviously enjoyed Christmas, but not been able to overindulge <laughs> as much as as much as the rest of you. <laughs> yeah, how how would you do it on Christmas Day? Would you have have some turkey, but and the vegetables? But I guess it's the, what the chocolate and the the sweets that maybe you have to be careful about. Yeah, to be to be honest, I, I, 
I haven't really ever sort of not had my Christmas dinner. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that, that is a, that is a Al- certainty that I would have. Alcohol, I guess, would be the, the big thing you can't really go yeah. overboard on. Yeah, exactly. To be, to be honest, what, what I used to always do is I always used to do Christmas Day dinner on Christmas Eve. We used mm. to get my family round or my wife's family and we always used to do like uh, the adult meal on Christmas Eve evening, I suppose. Okay, nice. So that, um, so that I could actually enjoy having the dinner. So mm. then Christmas Day was, depending on the situation, I was either in and out or dashing around everywhere. So I actually got to enjoy my, my Christmas dinner. So that's, that's how we used to do it. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I'll have a brilliant Christmas this year. It's, it's great that you're getting out on Christmas Eve from the, uh, the COVID restrictions as well. How do you... How do you reflect on on the last few months then? Because you retired what in the in the summer? If, if you kind of got used to life as a, a civilian, not a footballer, because it's it's an interesting. Because I had Luke, I had Luke Varney on the podcast recently, and he was going through the process since I guess June, and he said it was surreal because in the summer it was almost like a normal summer, and then it's when it gets into August, September, you start to sort of think, oh, I'm not training anymore. It's this is different, and I'm you know lo- no longer a footballer. And he said that evolution of an identity is is quite an interesting process. It's, it's difficult, I, definitely. Um, the, the, I suppose the only thing that, that's sort of different for me from, from most footballers is that I've had the pandemic. So I've gone from finishing playing at Norwich, which was obviously full-time football, to then going to Woking at part-time. Yeah. To then having the pandemic where everything was shut down, to then starting back up being part-time, to then at the end of my sort of last, little, last few months at Woking, to then on furlough. So then, mm-hmm. to then finishing. So it's sort of, I haven't just sort of been training full-time and then just completely stopped. I've sort of gone from playing full-time to part-time to the pandemic to part-time to furlough to nothing. Yeah. So it, it sort of helped me in, in the sense to try and sort of get back in, into a bit of, I don't know what you class as normality these days, but <laughs> some, some sort of, you know, because obviously I, I, you know, me and my wife, we lived, we lived apart for, for a lot. You know, I traveled up and back from Norwich, uh, back down South to see obviously as, as much as we possibly could, but we had my son and then we've had my daughter as well. So I, it's just sort of getting back into being at home all the time as well is, is, uh, is a transition in itself. Um, so then being in full time with who've been locked in together is also interesting. Um, but no, it's, it's, it has been a different, uh, completely different. It's that routine that I suppose everyone misses, you know, yeah. being, having a purpose in the morning and what you've got to do and, and where you've got to be. And because for 20 years, you know, I've been told every single day what to do, where to be, you know, very regimented. Mm. So it's, it's, it's been difficult to sort of understand what, what and where to do and what to do and where to go. But luckily for me as I said yeah, I've got kids so it's been you know I've been able to do the school drop-off which has been amazing I, you know I love it so just just to get going in the morning just a routine you yeah, kind of get get out yeah that. yeah and to, to be honest that like I I obviously I still love training I love going to the gym and doing all of that sort of thing and I've I have noticed that obviously I'm not able to do what I used to do <laughs> um so that that's a transition in itself you're still um, you're still young it's still hard. You're still 35, though. It's not like you're in your, your 50s or anything. No, definitely not. But if, if, I, if I felt a little bit better at 35, I'd still be playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but that, but that is, it's funny I had this exchange 
it was a pretty benign exchange on Twitter, but it was interesting. So a journalist who covers Manchester United put, I've got a feeling that Edison Cavani picks and chooses his games. And I, I replied simply, well, he's nearly 35. It could be just that it's the ebb and flow of, of his, his energy levels and it's not about psychologically choosing it. It's just, and then someone came back and said, well, yeah, but what about Ronaldo or, or Messi? They're in their mid thirties. What about, you know, Zlatan's 40? And I said, but they're outliers. They're not the norm. The norm is most players used to retire at 31, 32. It's, yeah. you know, they're, they're pushing the cusp. But I mean, I don't, what is that process like as a player assessing when it's time to, to maybe step, step away? Yeah, it, it's the hardest thing. You think you can play on for years. You know, I remember, you know, just breaking into the first team at 17 and everyone's sort of telling me, you know, you know enjoy it. It goes so quickly. You know, you're going to be 30 odd in, in no time. And you're like, yeah, come on, <laughs> I've got loads of time. And then suddenly it just goes. And you're, yeah. you're, you're sort of like, wow, where's that gone? And you've got, I've got some unbelievable memories, but you, you it just goes so quickly. And then, you you're, you know, you're, you are, you, you recover, you know, slower. You know, if you pick up something, it's not just, oh, you know, a couple of days, I'm ready to roll. It's, you know, it lasts a week. If not, it lasts two weeks and then it's three mm. weeks. And, mm. and just actually recovering from games is slower. And I take my hat off to everyone that's, you know, still, like you're saying, Cavani and, you know, you know Ronaldo, as you say, they're completely different. <laughs> yeah. They are freaks. Yeah. Honestly. To be able to do that at the top level in, in that position and to be able to perform is just phenomenal. So... Uh, obviously, you know it, it. It's a bit of luck that if you don't get injuries, that you you know you're because once you start having injuries and surgeries and and things like that, your your body's never quite fully the same. So it's mm. it's hard to sort of keep going at the same rate as as you once did. But to still be able to do that at, at 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40 <laughs> is just phenomenal. Yeah, well, with I was going to say with Ronaldo, obviously he's, he's he's always been a pace player, but you particularly were a sort of flying winger at times. Do you think that is a more difficult position to maintain? Obviously, Ronaldo's kind of evolved into a, a more of a poacher, hasn't he? Which is interesting. Yeah, that that's the that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I, maybe I should have uh, tried tried to adapt my game slightly <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. no, I, I I just that was the whole thing of it for me. You know, being able to you know be quick, be able to take players on. That's the exciting bit. That's the bit that I enjoyed the most. You know, so. Um, so the way I, I, I was lucky I sort of kept my pace um, yeah. till the end so um, it was it wasn't something that uh, you know I then had to come inside and play central midfield or, or something like that I was, I was still able to play on the wing and be able to take players on and, and run in behind and because I feel like you know once I feel like I wouldn't have been able to do that then, then definitely the time would have been to, to call it quits because you know as much as I you know, I would love to keep on playing. That's that's the bit that I've enjoyed since I was a kid. You know, mm. being able to do their things. And once you feel like you you start, you you can't quite do that. It, it's probably time to hang up. Would you still play kick arounds with your mates and stuff now, or do you think that's just ridiculous? Would you? What would you do? Think, with yeah, yeah, I think I, it's, loads of people have asked me that, and I, and I feel it's really difficult at the moment to sort of do it because I feel like if I was going to do that, I might as well have just carried on playing. Yeah, yeah. But, at the same time, I, I know that it was the right decision for me just in, in everything, you know, whether it's, you know, actually playing, whether it's family, whether it's just, you know, the pandemic, everything that's sort of happened is just sort of come to a point and it's just happened perfectly timing for me to, to finish playing. Um, and yeah, 
it's it's I, I do think one day I would love to you know, get back and start playing a little bit yeah. with my mates but I, I know that I'd probably go out now and I'd, I'd roll my ankle or I'd do my knee or I'd do something I'd just like, like, like why, me like, why have I done that exactly yeah. like you yeah yeah well that, yeah, that... So like at the moment I think I'll just keep steady and just run around in the garden with my son well, it is a conundrum because I've just turned 40 and I played for the first time about five or six months, as, as you know, before I saw you a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and I played a five aside, absolutely loved it. Then managed to get injured myself in goal at the end in the last five minutes. And I, I was limping around. I have been for two and a half weeks, three weeks. I'm just about kind of walking relatively normally now, but it's still in a bit of pain at night and stuff. And I think, you know what? I had to take a few days off work. It becomes a little bit That's ridiculous, cool. but, you, but you love it. But it is... I think football and it seems to be that in any sport really you're more likely to be injured than, than going down the gym and even though it's slightly more fun maybe than going down the gym I don't know yeah I mean of course it is it's yeah that's what why you do it because you love it and you want to enjoy you know it's a great bit of banter it's it's great cardio but it's it's just being with your mates and having a bit of banter playing a bit of football uh, my brother still does it and he's He's older than me and he's, he's got worse knees than me. And really? he, uh, he keeps coming back and he's hurt his knee, his ankle, his back, his elbow, you know, and I keep going to him, well, you know, <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but he what, can't, he can't stop. Walking football. I'm not sure about walking football. I don't know. Maybe no. I'll try it. I might rather just go for a walk, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too, too, too frustrating, isn't it? The ball's there to not, not kind of go into a trot to try and get it. It must be very strange. Very strange indeed, yeah. So how about... Um, your sporting, you mentioned your brother playing football, but I looked on Wikipedia. Is it true that your parents are professional tennis, table tennis players? Is that correct? This is correct. Yeah, they were both England number ones. My mum won the European mixed doubles. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's it's a very interesting uh, childhood. And they, they used to, they, don't, they weren't playing when we were kids. But, um, yeah, amazing to sort of see what, what they've achieved in, in their sport. What was that like? Did they get you to play table tennis? Was there a table tennis in the kitchen, a table tennis table in the yeah. kitchen? How did it well, how did it work? Well, well to, when we were kids, my mum and dad had their own business, a table tennis business. So they used to, you know, be there all the time. But then they used to travel all the like weekends and stuff. They used to go to tournaments because they used to have all of the, you know, the tables, mm. the bats, the everything that, to do with it. So they used to, you know, go there and work the the competition. So take all the tables and do it. So me and my brother used to go along all the time and then Whenever there was a free space on the table, we used to go on and play. And we, we were, you know, we were reasonably good, but yeah. it was never something that my mum and dad, you know, sort of pushed us into. But it was, uh, it was just, you know, we still see, you know, he, my mum and dad have got so many like medals and tracksuits and pictures of all of these things that they won. And it's just, it's just so nice to sort of see it, you know, because that's, <laughs> I suppose, how, how me and my brother have grown up in, in sport and, and the mentality and the drive to sort of do it, I think. Do you think there's a crossover there with your parents' genes? Obviously, it's a very different sport, but the hand-eye coordination, you think there's something in that maybe, that both of them being really good at it as well? Yeah, I, th I, I definitely feel like it's something is, is you know, natural. Um, mm. you, you're, you're sort of either you know, born with it or, or you work with it. I mean, my brother was technically a lot better than I was um, growing up as a, as a footballer, um, but... I, I, I had to work. I had to work for mine. Um, you know, it, it's, it comes with so much practice, like anything. You know, I was hours and hours and hours on, on the on the training field. Or you know, as a kid, it, it was it was incredible. We go, used to go to my local park and used to have our. Uh, my mum used to be in goal. You know, you know, they used to have goals up and no nets. Yeah. So my mum yeah, used yeah. to stand in goal. My, my brother used to, used to be in the middle. Used to zing a ball out to me. I had old fishing rods 
stuck in the ground as posts and cones. <laughs> so ping the ball out to me. I used to have to control it, dribble through these cones, get to the byline, cross the ball in, and he used to have my mum and uh, my dad and my brother in the in the box trying to score past my mum. <laughs> that was it. That's Brilliant. what I used to do. In the summer, so. so that so that's why you became a winger then. They, your actual family made <laughs> yeah. you into a winger. That's brilliant. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's um, that's a, that's amazing, actually. Did you feel their support was significant in getting you through it and their experience of, of top level sport, the highs and the lows, the knockbacks, the kind of setbacks, the judgment, the not getting into teams, etc. They were they're able to sort of steer you through that. A million percent. I wouldn't have been able to do any of it if it wasn't for them. You know what, what they did. I realise now having a, only a five year old at the moment, but the commitment to take me and my brother sort of everywhere. We used to be, I used to swim, I used to do cross country, athletics, football as a kid. And every night of the week, you know, from school, come home, used to eat straight away, homework in the car, off we go, used to go football training three, four times a week, you know, swimming, athletic. It was just ridiculous, the amount of stuff that the commitment from them that used to take me to start with. And then, you know, obviously, as I, as I got older, my mom and dad went to every single game home and away. You know, yeah. they, they just, they loved it. And you know, as, as I said, they, they, they've steered me in the right direction the, the whole way through. What was the process of, of making it like? What do you think was key? Because obviously so many young boys in, in England want to be footballers. What, what do you think was the distinctive? Uh, was it a coach, someone that saw something in you? Was it something you did, an attitude that you had? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I actually got released um, at 16 from Millwall. I was there for about mm. seven, eight years. Um, and I got released at, you know, at 16 when you're trying to get a youth team contract. Um, got told obviously it wasn't big, uh, wasn't good enough. Uh, all them things, and for me, um, I, I like lots of you know attacking. I suppose players but was massive confidence player. Mm. Um, so my my confidence took a huge hit when getting told not good enough. I've been there seven eight years, as I said. It's it's quite hard to take. And yeah, the, for me, it was it was do I now just go and play with, you know sort of with my mates locally or do I sort of give this a good go and and there was a coach called um a scout called Bernie Dillon at Gillingham who the same day I got released was calling me saying right we've got a game tomorrow against Gillingham come and play you know for Mill it was like the people that got released would come and play yeah play in the game you know, we want to bring you to Gillingham come and have a look come and look and I, I said no I was, I was like I don't I don't want to play in it because I just I just got told I wasn't good enough doing that I didn't want to play in it and yeah. And he, he kept on at me, he called me like next day, the following day, the day after that. And, and the week later, I then went and, and trained because a couple of the other players had gone and trained with them as well. So I knew them. So I went and played and, and went on trial. And, and to be honest, I was useless. I was useless. <laughs> and, um, but what the coach at the time, you know, they, they, uh, they must have seen something in me and offered me a youth team contract. <clears throat> and that was it. I completely just changed. Mm. I was I stayed in digs. Funnily enough, my digs lady was Ryan Birchant's. I lived with Ryan Birchant and his family for really three three yeah three odd years. Yeah. Two left two lefties. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was it. I, I, I two other lads stayed with there as well. So it's three of us in digs, and and that was that was the turning point for me. I I went straight in. Absolutely loved it. I worked my socks off. Um, it was a really good changing room and. I was uh, I went on tour with the uh, with the first team in in my second year's youth team and then that was it 17 I was playing in the first team that's it was amazing it's an amazing story to come from that setback and Bernie as you say was was instrumental in it but what are the the lessons there from being told I guess in any walk of life you're not good at good enough it's almost you have to take that on board to a, to an extent of actually reviewing that yourself don't you not accepting 
other people's opinions because only you know deep down what you're you're capable of but that can be so devastating to us and you know I remember people say to me oh you're not good enough at presenting or not not in those words but it can, I guess a kind of a paraphrase of that but actually you have to you have to sort of look deep inside and think no have I got the attributes can I develop to where I need to be and, and, and maybe not get too high but not too low with the praise and then the, the rejection it's, it's a t- tricky balance isn't it? 100% 100% is is in some ways it's a horrible industry because that that's you know football is based on opinions someone can say you're brilliant someone can say you're useless and depending on who's talking to who that's how you get moves that's how you get noticed that's that that's football mm. but to, to like you said to be grounded I think that's where I was lucky or or mentally strong or you know had not great great people around me that I was able to sort of stay very grounded and I didn't get too high I didn't get too low um and that, that's where I just kept my head down. My, you know, I had, I had the, the two different people next to me were like my mum and my dad after a game. My mum would be like, oh, you're amazing. You worked so hard. <laughs> and uh, my dad would be like, so how do you think you played? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he'd be like, um, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then you know, he, he would sort of make me look and think, right, how do I think I play? Because I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you know yourself after anything, whether you're doing a presenting or you're playing or you're doing you know whether you've played well or not or you've performed well so hmm. to actually judge yourself is and that that's I've always been my biggest critic so all the way through my whole career if someone said I was good or someone said I was bad I'll you know I would be you know be fantastic or take it with a pinch of salt but I would know myself whether I played well or not and 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 then if I got praise of my dad, I'd be buzzing. <laughs> it's all, well, it's always strange, like you say, you know yourself, because sometimes you'll do something you think well and someone else will be critical. The other way around, sometimes you think you've, you've had a stinker because you fixated on a couple of things that yeah. you, you noticed that other people didn't notice. It's, it's interesting. What has statistics made it more objective, do you think, for player analysis? Or is it just muddied the waters a bit because there's so yeah. many so many stats? Well, again, like that, that you can manipulate stats however you want. I remember a time when I was at West Ham, I was playing, uh, Sam Allardyce was the manager. He was huge into all of this, statistics, yeah. everything. Um, and we played, uh, you know, uh, the game before I'd played, I don't know who it was, but like a team that you'd think we would do well against. Um, and my stats were great, you know, crosses, passes, final third entries, you know, all of this running stats, everything. And the next game we played uh, Man City away and mine obviously were a lot less and the next <laughs> next next game i didn't play and i was like i went i was like i went and saw him i was like why am i not playing he goes well you know the last game you know you only put two crosses in you you did one you know two final third entries this this and this and i was like ah, you could so you just manipulate yeah. the stats to work for you for yourself you know because that's not fair <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have the ball against man city probably is that exactly yeah. we were yeah. defending for 95 percent of the time so you know but that that's that's the unfortunate way of you you can manipulate the stats however you want um but it, it does sort of in in some sense you know if you are a winger you can look and in the game are you getting the ball in the right areas are you how many crosses are you putting in how many final third you can you can look at this and it does sort of focus you on where you need to improve um but yeah you've got to take a little bit of pitch and salt with well, everything in, in my youth I played a little bit out of that left hand side because I was left footed I didn't have any pace I preferred playing central midfield but I, I did know that when you play out wide you're kind of dependent on people getting the ball to you as well aren't you it's not like a central midfielder who can control the game that's that is it um I'm, for years um especially in my early days being out wide I used to be like everyone should say you need to be in the game more and I'd be like well 
I'm not getting the ball. <laughs> yeah. And you, but then you sort of, as you you sort of get a little bit older, you, you have to actually either, my dad used to say, we'll go and get the ball. And then you're like, well, I can't because the manager wants me to be out on the wing. Yeah. You know, yeah. But you, you have to, you have to influence the game and you have to be in the game uh, as much as you possibly can as a, as a wide player because otherwise you do and you, you look at substitutes where are they always take off they take off a striker or a wide player that's mm. that's the majority of the people so if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing you're coming off <laughs> so you, you've got you've got to go and get the ball i tell you what talking about winger as well though because your evolution you almost came on the scene just as as wingers were sort of being taken out of the game to a certain extent <laughs> but the, the, the old four four three three was coming in because that's just a yeah. A very kind of um, haphazard accidental thing, isn't it? There's been this trend in football away from the, the classic 4-4-2 with your likes of, of Ryan Giggs and Mark Overmars when I was a boy. That's all yeah. kind of changed. What, what did, was, was that a strange process for you during your career? Um, <clears throat> to be honest, like Ryan Giggs, he was my idol growing up. I used to watch all the DVDs. So for me, I, I sort of, I learned a lot from watching his, you know, DVDs back then. Uh, no, sorry, VHS. Yeah, was, yeah, DVD. yeah. Um, so I used to watch watch a lot of that, and uh, so I was obviously fortunate enough to play against him many times. So it was it was great to see you know him still adapted his game to to to, to be able to do something. But for me, I started four four two, loved it, especially you know at Wolves. We that was our championship winning season. That was it. We had two wingers, two <laughs> centre forwards, and we just reined in crosses and goals. Yeah, we yeah. knew we would score more than the other team. And that, that's how we, it was great, exciting play. But Mick McCarthy knew in the Premier League, we couldn't do that because we, you know, we, we would get tore apart. Yeah. So he had to adapt to put another midfielder in. And then that just automatically meant we went sort of 4-3-3 or 4-5-1. Or mm. So automatically... He told me, yeah, that's where I had to start adapting my game because you have to become more of a sort of, a, you know, second striker. If the other wide players crossing, you have to be in at the far post. You have yeah. to be. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to score. So that's where, you know, you, you have to develop and you have to you know, look and, and see what, where and where you need to improve in your game. And that that is where I, I take my hat off and I have so much uh, respect and love for for um, to, uh, Terry Connor and Mick McCarthy and and Tony Daly because mm. they were Wolves for me. Uh, Tony Daly, obviously, legend of the game, was he a was winger, ra- ra- rapid winger, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, it was perfect for me. You know, what better way to to learn to improve my phys- physically uh, from from Tony Daly as the fitness <laughs> coach? And then Terry Connor worked with me day in day out, improving or you know cutting inside, whether it was crossing with my right foot, whether it was crossing with my left foot, whether it was cutting inside and shooting. It was. That, that was where I developed most and and had to adapt. And then when you then play for England, you then have to adapt again because Mick McCarthy brought, brought me straight back down to reality. <laughs> he was like, you know, congratulations, you know, presented me with my cap in front of the squad and was buzzing and it, it was amazing. Then he said, right, now you're an England player. You know, well, now you, you've been, become an England player. You know, people are going to be wanting to come and make sure that you don't play well in the next game. So you're going to have to adapt your game because every game is going to be a cup final for them. So you'll yeah. have to say so you're like, well, yeah. And it was, you, you have to then raise your game even more and mm. that you're always learning. You are always learning. You have to. Different psychology, isn't it? From being the sort of the big kid on the block from the championship. It was it 2009 you went up to the, the Premier League with, with Wolves and then how you, and then how you, handle being the underdog and, and accepting that maybe the other team's going to have more of the ball. Is that, is that a difficult psycho- psychological process? 
Um, to be honest, no. For me, it wasn't at all. I, I thrived in the Premier League. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I've, I've always been, I say, striving for more, I suppose. You always want more. Uh, mm. And I, I think that's everyone. You yeah. Know, you, once you get a taste of something, you want more. And then you want something else and you want more of that. So it's, for me, you know, I've always been, you know, I was at Millwall. I was desperately trying to improve to get a contract then I didn't get one then I went to Gillingham then I was desperately trying to get a contract there then got one then I was trying to get to the next thing trying to get the reserve team back then and then you're trying to get the first team and then you just keep going and I've always sort of been at I was never at a club apart from that you know last season at Wolves uh, Mm. in the championship where we won we're always I was always a team that was not up against it but we weren't the top high-flying team so you're always trying to to claw away or climb up the league or try and beat that the bigger team so I've always had that strive to to succeed um and I remember you know vividly that the f- couple of games in the Premier League early doors when we first got promoted you know, I remember walking out of the Etihad and they just signed Robinho it was sure like Philip wow. you know, yeah. all these and you're like wow <laughs> this is um, and, and then you just have to wake up really quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. remember playing at Stamford Bridge and it was um, one matter, William, I think it was Hazard and Ashley Cole were all sort of on my side. Mm. And it was like, wow, welcome to the Premier League. I couldn't get near any of them. Yeah. Uh, it, it was incredible. Uh, um, who, who, was the best pl- who was the best player you played against? Uh, what, as a fullback? Yeah, or, or with, or just uh, just on the on the pitch that was around you that you witnessed firsthand and thought that's... The thing is, it's, it's, it's crazy. I think really, the, as I mentioned, them three, or yeah, Ashley Cole, um, Hazard, William and Matter in that team, that was my first sort of wake-up call in the Premier League because they were a completely different level. Mm. Um, they were so sharp, so sharp. You just could not get near any of them. I think Hazard will maybe have been slightly later, but was yeah. Matt, uh, one Matter... Um, and they were so sharp you you press them the ball's gone and they've gone and you knew like you knew what they were going to do but you just couldn't get near them so um, but I I played with so many great players and against so many great players but all in sort of different spells in their career you know that some were sort of just starting some were just finishing some you know the the only person I suppose that I I would say that was in their prime and flying at the time when I played with them was Dimitri Payet yes yeah yeah that, that, that was season, a, he was he was a he was a shambles. He was so good. He was <laughs> so good. He literally just just did something, and it just changed the game. You see his free kicks, his delivery. He was just it was so natural for him. You know, it wasn't like he was in the gym and working hard. He wasn't doing it. He was just natural, unbelievable ability. Um, yeah. And he, he, that season, he just, he just, he was just incredible. It's a shame that he went back, wasn't it, so quickly to France. So it yeah, like. it, it was. It was. Um, you know, I wasn't there at the end of that uh, when it was wasn't going so well, and he was trying to leave. Um, but but to to start with, and that's that full season, what he did for West Ham and um, and and his performances were 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 pretty impressive. Um, to be someone in their prime, that that was that was the one that was he was in his prime. Funny you mentioned one matter, don't you? He would think he was Chelsea's player of the year for a couple of seasons around yeah. that around that era of, of really good players. And he's not someone that's notice, notably got big physical skills, not quick, not strong. What is the difference between the, the championship, the Premier League, between the you know elite professionals, but the very cream of the crop? Do you think it's, it's more mental? Is it decision-making? Is it clarity of, of what you're going to do? I, th- I always say this because this is a really good question, but it's really simple for me. In the championship... You get less time on the ball, but yeah. it's easier to do something with. 
in ah. the Premier League, you get more time on the ball, but it's harder. You, it's harder to take someone on. It's harder to you know find that pass. You get more respect. You get more time on the ball to do something, but it's a lot harder to actually do something with. Are they uh, more focused, the, the defenders? Is that partly it, you think? Yeah, well, everyone's an athlete. You know, they're so quick, they're so strong. You know, the, the positioning's different. You know, they're, they're, every team is worked so well and drilled and... It's, and you just get punished. That's the other thing. If you give away a chance in the championship, you know you're, you're hoping that you you either keep make a save or they're gonna miss. Or you know, whereas in the Premier League, they get a chance they're scoring, and that yeah. that's ultimately what the the biggest difference is. You you need you need to score the chances you get, especially attacking wise, because you're not going to get many. Yeah, well, it's funny you mention that, is it? Because the evolution of your game has been a traditional winger, and then you have players that are almost fortuitously of the time like Mo Salah who doesn't seem to be didn't wasn't a great winger doesn't seem to be a yeah. nine as a, an out and out striker he wouldn't play in a two but yeah he's mind-bogglingly prolific as a, a right right of a three of a three-man strike force it seems like certain people it just it, it's kind of happen chance isn't it how the, how the formations fit their game a hundred percent you know that's what I mean about these top players they're sort of adapting the game the formations everything that's you know that's down to managers as well where Pep Guardiola is probably the biggest example who's changed the Premier League. Um, but it's just, you know, you look at Ronaldo, he was a, a tricky winger. He used to do all of the, you know, so step many skills yeah. and step over something. And he's just, he's learned, actually, I don't need to do that. Mm. Why am I doing that when it's actually not, I'm not doing anything. He's then adapted his game. He's then cut, as, even at the Man United days, you see he, he sort of stopped doing all that. He sort of cut inside and was shooting a lot more. He was always in the right position when someone was crossing the ball. He wasn't mm. hanging out wide and waiting for the ball to come out to him. He was always in the box. And then he's completely changed when he went to Real Madrid because everything was focused on, on his game and the way he wanted to play. And, and that's just followed him around. And, and Salah, as you mentioned, it, the formation and the setup, the way that Liverpool are, it just suits them perfectly. Mm. Same with Mane on the other side because they just have that uh, Firmino dropping in or at the moment, whoever, Jota. It just works for them. Everything works the, 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 the way for everyone in that team. It's just formations. And once you've got that system, yeah. it, it, you know, you, <laughs> you, you're then trying to find players to work to that system rather than changing you know, bits, other bits and pieces because Salah's just, that, that just works perfectly for him. Is it, is it key for the manager to, there's a lot of talk about philosophy, is it key for the manager to look at the players and, and adapt that? I know Rangnick has said that at Manchester United because he's he's sort of associated with a, a certain type of play. And he says, well, I have to take a look at the players and see whether I can implement that first. Because sometimes there's a bit of an obsession with the philosophy, but you can't play a game that relies on quick counter-attacking if you've got a couple of cart horses up front, can you? <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, you'll be, you know, that's why he's saying that because you can't, you can't, be just bullish and say no I'm doing everything that I've said I'm going to do that's that's the system I play that's where I'm going all all over the world that's what I'm doing you can't because you can't change your squad until the transfer window and it's very difficult to then get a whole new team in the way that you want to play yeah. so you have to uh, you have to adapt your system but probably with the same principles but you've got to adapt and that that's what management is yeah you have to and players that's what you you have to adapt to every situation that's why you see a lot of players I played with loads of players um, straight away that comes to mind is Stephen Ward when, when mm. I was at Wolves he come as a centre forward wow yeah. he played you know his start of his career at Wolves he was centre forward centre forward centre forward then he, then he adapted and went to the wing and then and our left back got injured and then he, he was like well Mick was like oh you can play there so he played left and then 
he played left back. So he signed as a striker and he's played left back and he played internationally for, uh, uh, as a left back. He's played in the Premier League as a left back. Yeah. He's had uh, his whole career as a left back, considering he probably changed about 23 years old, something like that. Mm. You know, it's absolutely incredible to, to, to just adapt because you just want to play. Yeah. When, you're that, when that chance comes to play in, in any position on that team, you take it. And that's what he's done. And he's <laughs> so, made a whole career out of it. It seems to be a throwback thing as well. I remember as a kid, you'd have um, defenders who became strikers. So like Dion Dublin would go, he'd sort of alternate between centre-half and striker. Chris Sutton became a striker. Paul Warhurst was a, a player at Sheffield Wednesday. I think Kevin Phillips was actually a right-back in non-league or something. He ended up being like one of the best strikers of his, his generation. So it was uh, it was remarkable. Who, Which manager sort of formed the biggest effect on, on you, who influenced you either as a, as a player or as a, a man, who, who was the biggest kind of role model or I guess mentor? Mick McCarthy. Um, yeah. yeah. He, the biggest compliment I can give him is he's, he's honest. Um, as a manager, oh, sorry, as a player, that's all you want from your manager is to be honest, whether you're playing, whether you're not playing, he can tell you why. And um, there's no, Sort of, oh, you're not going to play, but you're definitely going to play the next game. You know that that, that doesn't work because yeah. you go, you don't play that game. The team win four 0 and he's the manager's going to turn around and say, oh, actually, I'm going to change the team. He's not. Yeah. So it's he, Mick was brilliant like that. He he was he worked on the training pitch every day. You know he was tireless in what he did. Um, was honest, very approachable. I know you probably don't think that, but he was. He was uh, he was brilliant and um, got the best out of me for sure, um, worked on my game because I, I, I signed there, not as an unknown, but not playing at that level before. Mm. Uh, well, I, I did start um, my career at Gillingham in the Championship, but it was quite short in the Championship. We got relegated, but it was, you know, he, he gave me that opportunity, I think. You know, mm. uh, he, always, he always remembers the game that he sort of, my time at Gillingham was we actually, we actually played Sunderland away. And he was the manager of Sunderland. I'd actually, it was my last game before I had a hernia operation and the manager at the time, Stan Turner at Gillingham, he, re- he cancelled my hernia up three times really? oh, <laughs> by, wow. I, so by the end of it. And I'm only a young lad, by the way, so I shouldn't be doing this anyway, but I was only training on a Friday and then playing on a Saturday because I Oof. could not do anything because of my, my hernia. Yeah. And it, was, it was ridiculous, but that was my last game and I, 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 played, I played really well uh, for about 70, 70 minutes and I had to come off. Um, I mean, he always remembers it and he always brings it up and goes, yeah, I remember you that day. You tore my right back uh, up and, um, and ultimately that's, that's how I got my move to Wolves. T- timing's key, isn't it? It seems like you know, having a good day on the right day when someone's watching. That's why I always say football's based on opinions. You, if, you, if you're in the right place at the right time and someone's watching, that's it. You, you, that's why you see so many players that either follow a manager around or, or you know, you, because they trust and they know what they're getting from that player. Mm. And that, that's, as a manager, that's all you want. You want to know what you're going to get from your players week in, week out. If you're a steady seven all, all every single game, managers will bite your hand off. Did you get the impression sometimes with certain managers that you could almost do no wrong and other managers you could do no right? Like it's sometimes you're, you're out of the team and you can't get into it. And you think, I don't know how I'm going to do, how I'm, how I'm going to get into this team. Whereas with another manager, maybe they sort of see you as one of their, their regular starters, almost regardless, um, unless, you, unless you have an absolute shocker. <laughs> I, I, I would say yes. There's, there's definitely, definitely. Yeah. That does, that does go on um, for sure. But it, again, it all depends on, 
on position, I think, and, and what your effect is on the game. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, it, at, my, at my time at, towards the end at West Ham, I, um, yeah, we, the team were doing so well and I wasn't, uh, the manager, uh, Sam had changed the system. So he wasn't actually playing with wide players at the time. He was playing with a diamond in midfield. So straight away, he was like, well, I don't think you can play at the top of the diamond. I didn't mm. ever, ever get a chance to play there, but he was like, I don't think you can play there. So he was like, so unfortunately, you're going to have to be on the bench. <laughs> and it didn't matter what I did during the week. I could be the best player for the next seven weeks. I wasn't mm. going to play because he wasn't playing that system. <laughs> so it, 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 it can come very frustrating. Um, but that's where the other side of being mentally strong and having... Uh, good people around you and, and and being able to just continue there was other people in the squad that were in similar boats and, and you just got to crack on and, and make sure that if where if and when you get that chance you've got to go and take it absolutely you mentioned that at the start with big sam and, and the data aspect of it i was tickled listening to peter crouch's podcast he was talking about how players would would try and kind of circumnavigate this during training towards the end of his career so you sort of sprint to the toilet at the end of training to try and get your sprints up when you had the monitor on and stuff like that and your heart, get your heart rate up and distance covered and all this kind of stuff do you think did it did it in a, in a strange way become less fun football over the course of your career did it become too serious in a way too data driven what did you what do you think um <laughs> yeah, it is is different. I mean, the thing is, there was no no place to hide. I think was is the best thing to sort of say. Uh, there was no place to hide, which was um, which was good because you know you you could get through training sessions and you know depending on you know certain players, uh, you maybe just do like a, a five side and you, your team would be you know either playing really well or not playing very well and you you would you'd never get spotted because of everyone's just looking at other bits and pieces. Yeah. So you never get spotted. Whereas when you're then doing your GPS and you saw that, you can then go, I told you he wasn't running. I told <laughs> yeah, you he, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't working hard enough yeah. on my team. <laughs> that, that's, that's where you can sort of focus it on the training sessions. Uh, and there's, you know, now they have like cameras and, and so they, they film all the training sessions. So you literally have nowhere to hide. And, and it's good because it improves you as a player because you've got to be at your best every single day. Um, yeah. which is a good thing it's it's also not a good thing because you know <laughs> there is nowhere to hide yeah, but you I, know what happens so many players post up pictures of getting nutmegged and things like that in training because that's it it's filmed everything's filmed <laughs> I, I, I wonder as well how how mavericks of the game like Cantona would have got on in terms of gps whether it would like you know but actually he's just got the yeah. beautiful vision you don't you don't need to but that, that position's almost gone that kind of 10 who just floats around is, yeah. is almost unfortunately that. now you, yeah it, 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 100%. There's no way on earth we'd be wearing a GPS monitor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you, you, and that's how the games you know, come on so much. You, you don't have, no team has the luxury to have a player that just doesn't track back or doesn't do anything. He, he's just that, he'll just float around and do something. You can't, you can't mm. carry anyone in today's game because every team is so, so strong. So yeah. if you're not working, you're not playing. <laughs> no, no. It's funny. What West Ham's an interesting one, isn't it? Because at a certain extent, Wolves were massive in the 1950s, but West Ham hadn't won a trophy, I think, since 1980, was it? But there's there's this big club mentality there, isn't there? And almost a, a real tribalism and a, and a resentment and a pressure. What was it? What was it like playing there? Because it's, it's sort of like a club a club that's beset by nostalgia, it seems. Yeah. Um, to, to, to be honest, when I, when I signed, I knew it was a huge club. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I and I signed for a club record fee at the time. Yeah. So it came with it came with a lot more pressure as well. But until you're actually there at the club and you're sort of in London 
and then you, you're sort of around. You don't realise how big it actually is. It's huge. It's such a mm. huge club. Everyone oh, come out. A lot of journalists. Yeah. No. A lot of journalists. So support them, don't they? So that's a, that's the thing they always say that you get a lot of coverage and a lot of criticism because the journalists are all West Ham fans. A lot of exactly, them. and that's what I was going to say. Yeah, and you suddenly everyone goes, oh, "I'm a massive West Ham fan," or "I'm a West Ham." You're like, what? I didn't know that. Yeah, there's so many people that were huge West Ham fans that you just don't sort of realise. Um, so that was, you know, it, it, you could feel that the, you know, the club, uh, you know, the stature of it. And, and that's what they sort of, when you first sign, they, they sort of give you that impression and they sort of feed in about like, you know, the history of the club. And not that I needed to know, but, you know, especially for like foreign players coming in, they sort of, they give you that information, which is great. And you can mm. see what, what it's done is galvanised the club now for like the last couple of seasons. You see what David Moyes has done and what the team's doing and the fan base is huge. And, mm. and what, what they could could go in and do if they can it's sort of got to go up another level still to sort of get to the, get to the top but they're they're very much on the chasing pack yeah absolutely it's gonna be a fascinating race for the top four I wish the club that I support Manchester United wasn't in the battle for the top four but that's about it at the moment I think it's going to be intriguing with Arsenal Tottenham United and and West Ham very much very much in it Matt, I just wanted to, to quickly um, as we as we round up, talk about what you'd like to do next and what you take from the football career. Because I know you you're working in the media. We've had the the privilege, or I've had the privilege of working with you at Sky Sports News in terms of your your, your kind of role as an analyst. Are you taking that 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 sort of mentality you got about trying to improve all the time? Is that how you approach this next step in in your life? Definitely, definitely. I think you know I'm always one that I'm you know I'm not just going to rest on my laurels. I suppose I've. I've, I've got media training. I'm still doing media training to, to improve because you need to improve and you need to adapt to every, every, every hurdle that you come to. Um, you know, I didn't, I sort of not took it for granted, but you know, for, for me, it's, I've, all I've done sort of media side of it is people ask me questions. I answer them and it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, not, it's not easy, but it's, you know, I know it's, it's, it's either about me or about football, about my team. So it's, that's what I've done. But actually when you come to the other side of it, it's, it's totally different, even though you're, it's the same sort of thing. It's totally different. Yeah. Um, so that, that's something that I needed to sort of experience. And the more you do, the, the more you learn. And, and, and that's what the training then comes in. And, and it's something that, that I des- definitely want to continue to do and improve. Because um, that, you know, as much as I, I want to I want to keep on playing football, I know that the time was right. So I wanted to still be involved in it. And then this is, is it, this is the perfect opportunity to, to still be involved, but, uh, but not be running around. <laughs> well, absolutely. What, you're, doing, you're doing a great job and you're clear. I, I noticed on your Wikipedia page, you did well at your GCSE, so clearly you're educated, you're articulate, you've got that behind you, which is a big asset and you understand the game uh, in depth and you can express that. But what about holding players in, in judgment? That's what I always find interesting is that evolution where you go from being kind of colleagues to then, you know, being asked your opinion, which I love the fact that Sky, we're not really encouraged to give our opinion, which I quite enjoy because I've, I've never made it as a professional footballer. So me saying, you know, Joe Blog should have put that one away. I always feel, you know, I always feel a bit a bit of an imposter doing that. How do you how do you find that? Because you'll have been on the other end of it as well as a, a player. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. That That's a difficult one for me. I've always been known as the nice guy. Yeah. Um, everyone I speak to, I've, I'm always honest, but I'm always nice and I don't like to dig anyone out. Um especially in the media side as a player you know it's different when you're on the pitch and you're you're playing in a team and different pieces but I was I was still always that the sort of nice guy but I've been told on many occasions doing my media training that uh, that sometimes I, I can't sit on that fence and I need to sort of say the, the right thing at the right time and and I'm more than happy to do it I, I'm doing it in my own in my own way 
day. Um, and, uh, and, and I will continue to do it in my well, you, own way. You emphasize I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to say if someone's done something wrong and, yeah. I, and I will, and I'll, I'm more than happy to do that. I just don't, I don't feel for me the need to sort of dig, dig people out for the sake of dig people in out. No, yeah, and you emphasise the positive, I think, which is which is good. But you also, I suppose, it's easier for you to empathise and to to maybe cast an opinion on a player who plays in a similar position than you did. Is that is that true? Is that fair? Because I know that strikers strikers say to me, oh, so and so on TV just get, get calling me out about missing this chance. Like they scored two goals in their entire career or something. Like what? Uh, yeah, exactly. Wait, well, you have like goalkeepers union, strikers union. You yeah. have to have a union. But no, you, you can. As a playing playing the game and then sort of commentating or, or you know criticizing players about it you actually understand what they're going through what they're thinking about sometimes it's just they've just got it wrong you know mm. and, and they'll probably hold their hands up and say that they've done it wrong you can then advise them or or, or put yourself in that position and think yeah you know I've got myself in the wrong position before, or I've, I've I shouldn't have passed that ball inside when I was supposed to do that. But and you can mention that as well, can't you? Which yeah, sort of justifies exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, and it's all part of the game. And you know, most of the time the goals are scored by people making mistakes. Mm. So it, you know, there's the odd occasion where someone scores a worldie, and and it and that's that's fine. <laughs> that's it's, great. It's... But most of the time, it, it, it's from someone making a mistake. You can always look at a goal and go. Well, the defending was poor there, or the goalkeeper should have done that, or you know, you sh someone should have pressed him a bit quicker instead of going. It was a fantastic strike, and it went into the top corner. You know, yeah, there's always something that could be You're, done to stop the goal. It's funny you mentioned the goalkeeper analysis. I went to a talk with Peter Schmeichel, who's got a book out, which I should actually try and buy about his career and the lessons of it and his life actually. And he's talking about the analysis in the media of goalkeepers and how often he says it's just wider the mark. He said this kind of cliche about not being beaten in near post. It's just a simplistic thing. He said, actually, you have to look at the nuance of each individual chance, what the keeper's thinking of, what the power of the shot is, what the you know position of the striker of the ball, how much disguise they put in them, body movement and stuff. There's loads of these variables I thought was interesting because that seems almost like a, a big cultural divide between outfield players and keepers. Hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Keepers, no, no, they get a lot of a lot of slack, but it's it's it's. I think it's you know a lot of it is you know keepers is a very unique mm. sort of spot because there's only one place on the team and you're training with your competitor every single day, or two or yeah. three of them. You know, so to 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 then all be united and and push that one goalkeeper to to keep improving and do really well for the team is 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 a really difficult thing to do. And then as an outfield player, you only really see the goalies when they come over either for games or shooting practice. So you're always wanting to like <laughs> either dink, dink them or put it in the top corner. And there's always that sort of, not divide, but competition between yeah. the outfield players and the, and the goalkeepers. But <clears throat> as I said, you can always, you can always look at the, the, the goals and say, oh, the goalkeeper, why is he not coming out and claiming that <laughs> as, yeah, as a defender? Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. come and grab it. But <laughs> it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's very difficult. My my son keeps run, jumping around in the goal line. So please don't be a goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I think reserve goalkeeper in the Premier League is quite a good position, if, unless you get called up. But no, no pressure and a decent salary, probably. And you, uh, you might you might get some weekends off if you if you're number three keeper. Um, but what, Matt, what, quickly before you go, what about what are your lessons of of the career and, and this time as well? Because people out there are really fascinated in that transition because you're still a very young man in the context of of wider life. The things that have got you through the the last few months is it is it that regularity that routine you say dropping the kids off but going to the gym keeping those endorphins going has that been a big thing because I've spoken to players who've had those challenging moments 
footballers, rugby players, whoever it is, as they come out of playing professional sport? Yeah, you'd ask my wife if, if she'd noticed that I haven't been to, to the gym or, you know, or done any exercise for a few days. She's like, you need to go to the gym. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're either you're stressed or you're, you're angry or you're, you just yeah. need to go and do something because yeah, I am, I've, that's the only thing I've ever done, really. And, and I, re- I love it and I still mm. love it. So for me, I just need, I, I love that release of going. I really enjoy going to the gym. Um, the, the, the normality is, is the hard part for me, I suppose, you know, just, you know, being just sort of, I suppose, having that, you know, drive to go, right, let's go, go take the kids to school. Let's do that. Right. Now, what am I going to do for my day? Yeah. I need to, I need to have some things. And obviously that's why I, I, I'm, you know, desperate to keep doing and do all the media stuff. Cause it's, it's something that I enjoy doing. Um, and just, just that routine, I think is, is, is the hardest part for yeah. me. Um, yeah. You know, it's now like you. Everyone can go to. We well, can do whatever you want now, and you're like, well, I get that, but yeah, you know, it's not like there's. Yeah. It's someone. Everyone else is at work. Yes. You know, yeah. Or is doing something else, or now there's a pandemic. What can I? You know, what you're thinking? Right. What What should I go and do? And what should I do? Let's go and do this. Go and do that. Well, it's actually it's not as easy as mm. you think. And, and, and very little is going to be as financially remunerative as well as playing in the Premier League, well, is it? So there's a, there's a changing of your expectations as well, I guess, as part of that. 100%. Yeah, 100%. But the biggest thing that I, I, I can sort of look back on and, and sort of go through, I've gone through some, you know, really difficult periods in my, my career. I've had a lot of highs and a lot of lows, you know, injury-wise, being away from my family, um, is mm. especially when I was at Norwich was the most difficult part of my whole sort of life rather than career. Um, you know, I got told I had an operation, got told I was, you know, the surgeons basically said that that's as best it's going to be. Um, you either sort of kind of crack on or, or mm. you retire. And, and I wasn't comfortable or wasn't ever going to be told that that was, you know, you're, someone's going to tell me when I was going to retire. You know, I, yeah. I, I put my heart and soul I, I i sacrificed a hell of a lot you know i was away as i said i mentioned i, I missed my son growing up a fair bit in yeah the first couple of years because i put everything into getting myself back fit um i, I yeah i stayed i stayed up there on my own i was in before everyone stayed till after everyone every single day um and and work don't, don't get wrong there was other players doing exactly the same thing um but that that's that's i can look back on my career and if and if anyone is the same you look back and think i could not have done any more mm. yeah I'm, I, I'm not i wouldn't go back and change anything apart from maybe going into that block tackle with yaya Torre. <laughs> <laughs> but um i wouldn't change anything because that's that's you know it's made me who i am today you know i can look back and say i am resilient you know I, i've got through a hell of a lot of stuff that yeah you know, yeah a lot of people maybe wouldn't have um yeah. i've taken a lot of slack i've also had a lot of incredible moments you know playing for england in front of all my friends and family in front of 80 odd thousand fans uh, is you know an incredible dream come true as a kid you know promotion playing for some amazing clubs um you know and and to have that experience with you know such an amazing group of players and staff and and friends and family and and obviously my mum and dad you know traveled here there and everywhere to go and watch it was it, it was a whole whole thing um and uh it, you know it's, it's now i can sort of look back with with pride but at the same time know that 
I've, I've given it absolutely anything, everything. And uh, I, I can, I can be very satisfied of, of, with what, what, what's, what's happened. Well, absolutely. You lived the dream. I think from uh, when I was a little boy, I think all the little boys I knew wanted to do that and you, and you did it, Matt. It was fantastic and demonstrated great courage in that block tackle with Yaya Torre as well. Cause <laughs> stupidity. <laughs> yeah. more than courage. Well, I don't know. We'll call, we'll call it bravery, but Matt Jarvis <laughs> re really appreciate your time. Stay in touch. And I hope to see you soon at Sky Sports. Thank you very much. Well, great to speak to Matt Jarvis. Appreciate his candor about those difficult moments forging a, a footballing career. Is pretty much, you know, I'm sure half the population of young English boys, an increasing number of English girls, British boys, British girls, I should say, are aspiring to, to make it to professional football. Just incredibly did that, especially after being told in that no uncertain terms that he wasn't good enough. I find that fascinating. And it was, it was great to get his, his insight into his career. And in that sort of, I guess vulnerable stage that he's, he remains at just a few months out of finishing playing football, the process of, of how he finds structure to his days, how he finds that routine, how he tries to find motivation to what to do next because as we kind of touched upon there at the very end, being a Premier League footballer brings you financial riches that are probably hard to match in any other career, particularly you're starting a new career afresh other than maybe business investments, maybe something like that potentially, trying to make money through property. But it's... Um, it's an interesting one to get his, get his insight to. I hope you like it. Please rate the podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this on. If if that's the case, or just a referral to a friend, mention it to a friend would be fantastic too. Any ratings as well would be uh, be great. And uh, yeah, appreciate you uh, you being here listening to it. Thank you as well to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. It's high-class stuff. I'm not sure they typically do you know, like your classic Black Friday sales, that kind of thing. But as New Year looms into to shot, if 20, 2022 is on the horizon at the end of the week, it may be they have deals. I'm not sure. But check out Bangalorefson of Cheltenham online, BNO underscore Cheltenham on social media. And remember, through Serene AV, they can source you whatever audiovisual equipment suits your needs, your vision, and your budget. And thank you to Cytoplan the food-based supplement company that my father's worked for for a number of years. We've taken the supplements for 20 plus years as a family, the Drapers. And if you would like to see if they can help optimize your immunity, you can go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. The discount code at checkout, Draper10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Now, this podcast was recorded Wednesday the 22nd of December. So things may have moved on in the UK in particular regarding COVID restrictions. I know there had been announcements around Wales anyway. Um, so I hope that you're well. I hope that things aren't getting too much psychologically for you. Again, with uh, two years into the pandemic, very nearly in the UK, two years in, if you, if you count the sort of outbreak in China, I suppose. So it's, uh, yeah, a, a tough time psychologically, particularly in the midwinter with not much light around. So please look after yourself, try and get that sleep, try and get that exercise, stay hydrated, all the good things, try and move during the day, whether uh, you're uh, free to roam or not, depending on the, on what's happening where you are. But appreciate you just look, try and look after yourself in, in this time, look out for other people as well. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Appreciate it, guys. And goodbye for now.